Hello, and welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode of the podcast, number 242. It's probably what I encourage farmers to do, is just actually reach out to your local everyday hacker and contact them, because if they know that there's someone out there who can do the things that they believe, even if they don't, being able to go to the dealer and go, oh, I think I'll just go jailbreak it then and say that to the dealer. They feel like they've got someone in their corner. Software security often operates in a zone that is well removed from the understanding and awareness of the general public. But DEF CON, the annual hacking conference, makes a point to try and bridge that divide in awareness and understanding. The show, which just celebrated its 30th anniversary, is renowned for dramatic demonstrations of software security weaknesses that are designed to grab the public's attention. From Barnaby Jack demonstrating flaws in automated teller machines by forcing one to spit out a stream of bills on stage, to the video of Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek driving a Jeep Cherokee off the road using a remote software attack. That proud tradition continued at this year's event, although the demonstration that got all the attention was a bit more on the surreal side. A John Deere-branded 4240 touchscreen monitor playing a custom farm-themed version of the classic first-person shooter game Doom. Surreal or not, the presentation went viral with stories popping up everywhere from Wired to Jalopnik and ricocheting across the globe. The story got considerable traction within the gaming community as well, for obvious reasons. But behind the fun and games are serious questions about the security of critical precision agriculture equipment that can be remotely controlled from the cloud, as well as about the Orwellian conditions suffered by many farmers who find themselves locked out of and unable to fix or service their own equipment when it breaks. To talk about those, we invited the researcher behind the Doom on Deer presentation into talk. Sitcodes is an independent researcher based in Bangkok, Thailand, and he's back on the Security Ledger podcast to talk a little bit about how he came to start poking around inside John Deere hardware and software, and about the complicated relationship he has with Deere Corporate. To start out, I asked SickCodes to go way back and talk about how he came to work as a security researcher in the first place. Sick, just introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, good evening or good night. Oh, well, that's probably a bad way to do it. Yeah, um, afternoon. <laughs> good day. Uh, hey, Yon. No, what are we talking about? G'day. What the Good day. You're an Australian, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's one word. <laughs> so I didn't know how to do it. Oh, shit. It's like, g'day. Uh, it's Sick Codes, Australian hacker, um, you know, software connoisseur. I've uh, recently hacked into some John Deere stuff. It seems to be a running theme at the moment. Um, yeah. And just start living up to a name as public enemy number one in Deere's eyes. But not my own eyes, because I, I think I'm doing great things for the agricultural food supply chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, hey, man, welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, that's great. Um, it's so funny. Like, we, we've known each other going back a few years. Um, I met you after you posted something on NetSec, NetSec. on Reddit, mm-hmm. on TCL. Oh, well, I, can't, I think it was TCL TVs. And uh, more recently, you really basically went viral with a, a hack of a... Uh, John Deere touchscreen monitor. I, I want to start off by by asking about kind of you and and how you got started in doing 
you know, um, software security, vulnerability research, poking around inside smart intel, you know, smart objects like TVs and, and stuff like that. What's what's the uh, what's your origin story? I think it was basically. I think it was my first time that TV, and funnily enough, I didn't actually have the TV with me. I was actually team viewing through my buddy's PC through a VM, um, so I didn't actually have the hardware on me. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got a TCL TV now that I've destroyed, but um, it almost <laughs> died from electrocution actually because I didn't realize you can you're not supposed to touch capacitors in TVs. Note <laughs> to this self, happened, yeah, this happened twice now. But um, but yeah, dude, I think it's just a. I don't know. Maybe it's it's not innate. But, you know, you want to break stuff. Maybe it's just want to mm. break stuff. Did you just get started out just just doing just coding basically? Just kind of yeah. Man, I just you, started. Yeah. I started. I think I had zero followers on my Twitter when I started my Docker OSX, and that went quite viral actually. On the day I got it, and then um, I say the day that I released that software, and that was a Mac OS VM thing, and now it's got like three hundred thousand downloads or something. It's pretty prolific, but. Um, you know, this is just a hacked way of doing things. Basically, before that, I'd, you know, done a lot of stuff to do with, you know, other people's software and freelancing and, um, you know, bots, yeah. lots and lots of bots, um, you know, and then a lot of, like, reverse engineering other... So, like, when you're writing bots, right, if you want to beat, like, you know, Perimeter X, um, you know, Akamai, mm-hmm. Cloudflare, all these different botting, anti-bot techniques, you've got to re- practically reverse engineer their, their, their botting code, you know what I mean? Like, they, they're trying to find out if you're a bot and if you can get around that. Then yeah, and I've never actually had them uh, beat me. So, what were these bots doing? <laughs> yeah, just all sorts of things. Mainly scraping. I was going to say yeah. scraping. That's probably the yeah. best way to put it. Yeah. So, were you? Did you grow up like? Uh, was your were your your parents in the software industry, or how no. did you get interested in like coding and software and? I'm not going to dox myself, but yeah. No. <laughs> so my parents, yeah, not technical at all, really. Actually, I was always pretty smart, yeah. smartest yeah. of the siblings. There's one tick box. I've got siblings, but yeah, but I grew up in a big family, so it's kind of like we're always joking like that. And as a, as Australians, it's kind of like double jokes. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, man, that's that's why I have so much fun just mucking around. Um, what I mean by what I mean by mucking around is just not taking stuff so seriously online. So. Did you first get exposed to it in school or just on your own, like just kicking around online? Yeah, high school. I think um, I was pretty good at high school. I just found computers pretty good, man. Like I think I got banned from computers like everyone else does, you know, try to install games <laughs> and shit like that. It's cool. Yeah. Just playing with this. This is back when um, like we had just started at computers in the classroom. So like as in like one computer per classroom. Uh, and then, yeah, it was just like, yeah, it was a one-way street. So yeah, in high school though, it was a little bit different. Um, that was like, you know, you know, I did pretty well at school. We actually had computer classes there, so mm-hmm. typing classes and mm-hmm. also classes to do with web design and actually game design, funnily enough. But uh, I was pretty good at those as well. So very cool. Yeah, like after that, I mean, I didn't realize that. Um, well, I was always just breaking my brain. Where how does a website go from HTML to dynamic? And then I was like trying to figure it out in my brain. Um, and then eventually, if, if you just, you know, came across things like PHP, WordPress, and then next thing, one thing leads to another, and you end up doing websites for yourself and people. And then after a while, they get hacked. So then, you know, once they get hacked, you're like, you're like oh, shit, what happened there? And then that's, you know, that's pretty much how I got into security. Then you realize, you know, you're like, oh, shit, that's how they got in. You go through the logs, and then you fucking, you're already doing incident response. Getting hacked is one of the easiest ways to figure out how, like, if you've never been hacked or done hacking, then 
it's kind of like really difficult to understand what the, a goal is there. And then, yeah, that was it, man. Like after that, you know, just um, worked online, like I did things for other people online and then eventually mm-hmm. realized that, um, you know, there may be a bigger calling, if that makes sense, like things that, you know, some sort of, if you're good at something, you might as well be good at it, you know? It's yeah. Like- <laughs> That's so interesting. Like, I mean, it's so, it's not that uncommon that like folks mm-hmm. start doing security before they even realize that security is a whole industry yeah. and profession in and of itself. So it's like, you're just trying to solve a problem for your customer, right? <laughs> and do, awesome. and learning incident response in the process. Correct, correct, correct. So you got into device hacking, stuff hacking, thing hacking with that TCL vulnerability that you discovered. Talk about what you learned looking into the smart device uh, world as opposed to the WordPress website world. Well, actually, well, actually, I started with this other box. I think it was the the HK One TV box or something. It was like a really Chinese box from um, I think like not Wish dot com. It was probably it's probably not Wish dot com, and I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And the company didn't give a sh- like. I emailed them, they didn't reply. I don't, the, the website didn't exist. Um, like yeah. AM Logic emailed them and said, "Hey, do you know?" This? And they didn't send anything back. And I thought, well, "What do I actually do in this case?" Like, and then that's how I learned how to do proper responsible disclosure. Because I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, we've well, got a CV in this." That was my, I think it was my first CV that I requested, but I didn't actually publish it um, until after TCL. But I was like, "Okay, what do I do with this now?" And yeah, you know, the company's totally responsive. They never said a word. I don't even remember any existence anymore. Um, and just, I just you know asked around i think i looked online and i was like the, res- the rules were just launch it just send it send it and i did and then i think tech radar mm-hmm. some random like, tech radar mm-hmm. just did a story just they just randomly picked it up from like the cve feed and i was like oh cool and then yeah after that i think i did the i thought okay i'll try a different tv i try a real tv and that's when i called my buddy and said what tv have you got expecting he and have a samsung and then lo and behold he's got some tv called tcl i didn't even know what the two yeah know what was. yeah i i honestly think like you know, th- these make it into the market. All of a sudden, you notice there's this like, hey, pretty, pretty good, mm. pretty high resolution flat screen that's two hundred dollars less than the Sony or the Samsung. So like, I'm I'm gonna buy that. You know, I don't even know what this brand is, but I know that's a lot cheaper. And I think even when that happened, I was like TCL, TCL. Like I thought it was just like some Chinese brand that you know hadn't wasn't even in the U.S. But then when you start looking, you're like, oh yeah, no, this thing's all over the place. They're selling at Best Buy. They're selling it. You know all these mm. big retail outlets, you know, and yeah, it was a weird call for me too. Yeah. It was actually in like, I think it was in the NBA stadiums and things like that. Like it was very, very prolific. And they yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. Well saturated. Yeah. Yeah. And that was almost like under the radar approach where they would like flood the market with like, you know, like subsidized TVs by the government <coughs> allegedly. And then uh, tv slash surveillance device yeah i mean right they've got cameras they've got microphones and they've got always on internet connections so you know you say tomato i say tomato sounds like a surveillance device to me (laughs) i mean we're laughing about it now and the funny thing is that it was all proven to be true because as soon as that actually blew up properly i mean i think either the department of defense was actually waiting for uh department of foreign security they were probably waiting for something like this to happen or they were just like, oh, when they saw it because they did the um, Chad Wolf, the, I think, I don't know what he was, he was the something or other on, the, on that side of the government and he said he had that uh, big press conference where he was gassing up the uh, the volume they got and I was like, you know, I'm yeah. pretty giddy, man. Like seeing yeah. a volume getting spoken about 
with a black with a blue and uh, white DHS background is kind of cool because it's kind of like, whoa, shit, it made it to the top. Yeah, um, yeah, it turned like, into like DHS put out an alert. I think if I if I recall saying specifically yeah. about you know these TCL TVs. So what when we're talking about like we're gonna we're gonna get to the deer deer th- stuff in a, in a second. <laughs> But, you know, hacking a smart TV, like as a security researcher, like where do you, where do you start and where do you, where are you looking for smoke signals, uh, signs of trouble? I just look around and like, I think something to do with coming from a sort of developing background beforehand, you have, because when you're writing code, you have to have the ability to see where things are. Like, you know, it's in like, you have to be able to have hold memory in your head where the other parts of the code are. Um, which is kind of like foresight, right? So you know, you need to predict what you're going to write there is going to affect other parts of the code, and you have to remember all that code in in some way. You know, it doesn't be perfect, but that's kind of how I find hacking. It's like I read stuff, I read code, and then I go, okay, well, that's he's doing this, and then I just store it in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, you end up finding two things that actually conflict, and you're like, oh, hang on, what's that about? And then mm-hmm. that, that you know, it's a race condition, or whether there's like you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's like um something's been inserted in the wrong spot or like there's, you know, the levels of uh, interoperability is not good or like, you know, the users are the wrong, wrong permissions and things like mm-hmm. that. Like, mm-hmm. and, and then you can see that. And then especially looking at more and more and more code, just eyeballing it even, you'll end up going like, oh, hang on, that, that's weird. Everyone else does it like this. And this, 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 this developer's done it differently. I wonder why this is what peeking out to my interest. And, you know, things like bad code comments and, you know, extra tabs and things like that, like mistakes and stuff, usually that indicates that there's going to be other errors in there. So if they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, they can't syntax their own code, which you can automatically syntax now anyway. So if they can't do that, then there's probably other issues there as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like a mind game when you think about it. It's not actually like a, oh, I've got to find that thing to say. Usually, most of the time, it's, not even, it's never been said, seen before what you're trying to look for. So you're not going to find it by recognition. You're going to have, you're going to, have to find it by something else. That's the way I find it anyway. What's running under the hood of most of this stuff? Like you mentioned, like the TCL TVs or LG or Samsung. Like when when you dig into the underlying operating system and applications and and so on. Like what what are, what are they running? It's always it's always Android or Linux or some other real time operating system or something really small, like really bare bones real tech, media tech stuff. Um, I've actually come a, come to like you know I know the manufacturers by chip now. Like you pull apart a device, if it's from like D-Link and stuff like that, or the Chinese mainstream brands, but not state-owned brands, kind of, if that makes sense, or maybe Taiwanese ones, um, they mm-hmm. usually have, you know, got MediaTek CPUs, they've got, um, you know, Toshiba, Samsung. And when you kind of get this, you can even identify the colors of the boards now. Like you can tell if it's a cheap board or expensive board. Like I think, you know, just a just, just, by, the, just by the components on it? Yeah, just from ripping everything you own apart. And then eventually you're like, okay, well, this is all... Let's talk about let's talk about the work you've done in the past couple of years on John Deere's hardware and software. Um, you did a presentation hacking the farm at the most recent DefCon, DefCon thirty in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, where you showed that you were able to run the Doom first person shooter uh, on a Deere what is it forty two forty touchscreen monitor? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, um, that's correct. The year before that, DEFCON 29, you actually did a, another presentation also focused on Deer, where you revealed a whole slew of vulnerabilities you found in John Deere Operations Center and some of the, you know, basically hosted services that they 
have to support their deployed equipment. So talk about how you got interested in Deer as a company and what your kind of um, investigations into their hardware and software uh, have uncovered uh, in terms of cybersecurity. Well, I think we, st- I think we did like a discussion one day. And then you and me, yeah. You- yeah, then you said to me, um, hey, there's no CVs in John Deere, and I had a look at it. I looked at the website, and then that's when I started discovering yeah. vulnerabilities in the website. And that's it. That's, the rest is history. Then I was, you know, I was digging through their site, and then I found yeah. the first couple of bones, you know, and going through all their weird terms and conditions. And like I was saying before, when you start seeing weird code, you start thinking, like, what the heck, you know, like, um, there's got to be diamonds in here, you know, like, if you're going through... You know, if you're going through like dirt and you start hitting quartz, then there's got to be diamonds. That's pretty much the way I've seen it. You know, like it's, yeah, yeah this is the way exactly how it works. And, and it works every time. You know, if something looks hardened and it feels like it's been thrashed before, just give it up. There's going to be this 10x things out there that are way easier to hack. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, honestly, had we not hacked Deer, right, at that time, I don't think that they would be anywhere near they are. They would be like, they would be like in this situation right now where probably there would have been ransomware once or twice already or something like that. Because look at Agco. Like, I don't know whether they were inspired by the, the rush of agriculture, I think, or whether it was working from home shit, or whether it's like, I don't know what it was, but, um, you know, some companies got thrashed during that thing. And yeah. JBS and, and the, JBS and the, and probably, the co-ops. Yeah. 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 And the co-ops. Yeah. Like, they've yeah. hit every part of the chain so far. I mean, yeah. I think the only thing missing was... Um, yeah, I mean, that was the first part of the hack, and there was a group of us doing it. Um, well, I picked up a group along the way. And after that, I think um, we did DEF CON last year with, the, with us and CornCon. Yeah, CornCon, which is an ag, ag-focused cybersecurity event. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot you did CornCon. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's on, it's on next month, actually. D is actually going. So when I sort of conceptually think of your two talks, DEF, DEF CON 29 and CornCon and, and DEF CON 30, I, I kind of think software, one software, the other hardware. Yeah. But is that too simplistic? But my 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 recollection no. is, you know, the first one, you're really focused on the operation center and some of the, so Deer for people who aren't, you know, up to their eyeballs and you know, ag cyber, Deer has a application platform um, that is ru- that they're running on, particularly their late model um, equipment, um, kind of similar to your cars, you know, app platform or your phones, right? And so they've got yeah. a whole developer um, site where you can register as a developer and create third-party apps that, in theory, can can run on their equipment. So that that was kind of your entree to Deer was 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 signing yourself up as a as a developer on this uh, uh, for for Operation Center. Is that right? Exactly right. And then I had access to um had to access to everyone who had a who had a unit purchased in the last number of years. Um, yeah, what I'm trying to say is the I was able to access the first name, last name, address line one, address line two, postcode, blah 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 of every everything I looked up by VIN number. You know, I just type in VIN numbers on eBay and you can find them in the thing. And then once again, they um they, that was the first time that I've ever had uh, been gaslit by a company after the research was finished. You know, they tell you in private that it's actually real. Right? And I think this is what's been happening between me and Deer is kind of having this beef, um, virtual beef where it's like I'm actually producing content. Um, in the form of um, stuff that they can fix, right? And they're actually producing reverse PR that says that I'm doing something that um, is either illegal or I'm doing things that um, aren't real or things like that, especially aren't real, right? They'll tell me, oh, there's no there's no customer data access. Well, actually, I'm actually using a, I'm actually looking at customer data right now. You know, I'm looking at names of addresses and stuff like yeah. that that are pulled out from yeah. your database, dear. Not my database. Yeah. I didn't check these numbers. I got it from your database. Yeah. 
Where did I get them from? If I didn't, if I didn't, well, that, if I that kind of gaslighting is really common. I mean, how many breaches have we heard about where there's like, well, yes, they stole data on 100 million customers, but we have no evidence that any of that data has been used in attacks. And it's just like, well, you know. <laughs> It's like, yeah, they stole a million dollars. We have no evidence they've spent any of that money. It's like, well, they're gonna, you know, <laughs> like, why would they steal it if they weren't going to use it, you know? But I mean, companies engage in that gaslighting all the time. And it only, I think it works with lawmakers who are basically like humanities majors who don't know anything about technology and definitely don't know anything about the, you know, cyber underground. Um, but it's, it, I mean, it, 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 falls apart on even just casual inspection um those types of you know kind of <laughs> yeah i, I just I think, think of them as empty claims like well yeah i was gonna say even with like a newer generation of um you know pe as people from the younger gen z even gen y gen z or whatever gen we're on um start to move into positions of um you know like government and, and like um things like that they they understand tech in a different way um yeah. having grown up with it so things like that won't fly and companies are about to get, you know, serious wake-up calls because cyber's only going to get more dangerous. Code's going to get more shit. You know, mm -hmm. and likewise, code's going to get better as well. And there's going to be a lot more stuff. But, you know, there's mm -hmm. big things to worry about. I think the next big thing is obviously AI, but that's, that's going to be hard for everyone to understand. But um, back backtracking, the 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 stuff that flies, you know, that gets, gets around the corner isn't really flying with people that it matters to, you know, the security community. And that's yeah. why I love bringing this stuff to light because people that... Um, especially a company like a tractor company, you know, like I'm just showing them problems with their own software. I didn't write the problems. They wrote them, you know, like I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot me. Like, yeah. yeah. What, what like happened after, what, what happened after that, after that initial, um, the, the, the initial tranche of, or tranche of, of research that you did, you, you found a lot of vulnerabilities um, in operation center. Dear, set up a bug bounty program through bug crowd um but excluded their hardware from it they kind of tried to rope you into it i think to to get you yeah. to sign sign an nda and, and shut you up um yeah but, so so the, the most did they fix part any about... of that stuff like did, i mean what what happened to the stuff that you discovered and reported to them you know uh, first of all i know the guy that the guy that was that i was doing it with he actually doesn't work there anymore but i don't know whether he got fired or whether he moved on but um he was actually pretty good except that when um it sort of shuffled around as a big company and you're dealing with one person and the vulnerabilities you're about to show them actually affects the whole company it's kind of like a little bit of a <clears throat> there's a little bit of a power power issue going on there where it's kind of like this kind of needs to go to the top and then it's getting pushed back and then he's always said it's called uh, bureaucratic inertia is that the word for it it's kind of like just keeps swirling around and companies that big have cultures, you know, and it's really yeah. difficult to report a bug to a company that's kind of trans transient. Like it doesn't really have, but dear does, but the other companies don't. But anyway, it actually ended up being my two, two or so individual vols where I could see all the customer data. It's quote unquote all, but it's not you know, all new customers. And then the second batch of vols, I was with a team of researchers, as you know, and, um, they we, yeah, we ended up breaching the whole mainframe so so we've been from we've been from mainframe of dear you know access to the dealer dealership uh, model unit and like dumping all their emails and stuff like that so yeah. um, email addresses um <clears throat> dear likes to quote um get the quotes right which i'm which i'm okay with you know because i'll prefer accuracy and um, you know, le less emissions and errors but yeah previous stuff um some developer stuff, um, customer stuff, their stuff. And then there's only one thing left on the table right after all that. 
and that was the that was the actual hardware. It was kind of like a progressive thing, and I just did mm-hmm. that for the last year on my own. So. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get like closure in that in that first round? That first of all, the stuff you had reported had been fixed, and that Deer had kind of learned and were improving things, or do you feel like it was really just again a, a sort of corporate whitewash and let's just sweep this under the rug and make it go away? I think the first thing they did was create the bug bounty. Well, actually, it was quite yeah. late. Like, it was about a month after they, they rushed the bug bounty, and it was very, very rushed. And I don't know whether it was the guy that I was dealing with, but he pushed, you know, he. I told him I didn't want to be in the bug bounty, um, got invited anyway, and that is not the way to do it. And obviously, it was their first time doing it because I was the first researcher in the program. It was created the day that I joined it. Uh, was invited and you know had to get permission from hacker one to, to to say that i want i'm still talking about this vulnerability publicly at um you know i want to talk about this vulnerability publicly because we're already doing it outside hacker one well i want to bring mm-hmm. this inside hacker one. Mm-hmm. um that was the first annoying part uh and then you know that, that 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 doesn't align with their goals you know that doing this fully publicly does not align with these goals however had i not done that and left that program at that exact moment none of this would have happened you know none mm-hmm. of this interesting and, and most important stuff coming up would have actually happened. And I think that's kind of important to get out that, you know, if I didn't bite the bullet and say, no, I'm not working for deer for, for nothing, for no, no bounty and equipment out of scope, I'd rather do it publicly because this, this shit needs to be public. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it actually worked out really well because it's kind of a big deal. You know, it's one yep. fifth of the GDP. It's and one fifth of GDP. You know, there, there is, um, you know, there. while there have been some alerts from CISA in the U.S., which is part of the Department of Homeland Security, around threats and attacks to agriculture, and it's very FBI. hard to see that there's been any organized government effort to assess or improve the security of precision agriculture. And Correct. And there, there when, are, when you're, there are you're out there kind of ringing the cowbell, being like, hey, you know, Vaughn's here, you know, come and get him. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. That's exactly yeah. the way I said it. I'm just the town crier yeah. and yelling out saying, and people think I'm crazy or something like that, but until I show things like, you know, playing Doom on, a, on, a, on an A-grade play, a blue chip, <laughs> state-of-the-art tractor, which is, you yeah. know, a, a joke, right? Uh, even if yeah. I can do that, it's kind of like, it's kind of, a, there's kind of the meme value in it, but yeah, yeah back to your point, there's no ice hack allegedly, so I was talking about, I think, was it, uh, Josh Corman, Josh yep. Corner about that, and um, he was pretty interested in that. I think that's a great idea. There's also the FCC, Federal Communications, whatever, about um, the Precision Ag Task Force. You know, the worrying just, about just to from. just to clarify, there is so the IT ISAC, which is the Information Technology ISAC, has a Food and Ag SIG or Special Interest Group. So in theory, that is where they you know help companies in the food and agriculture industry you know, share information on incidents, attacks, you know, threat indicators, et cetera. But there is no proper ag industry ISAC as there is for financial services and manufacturing and, you know, energy. And yeah, if there was one, I would have, I would have been contacted by them, I hope. (laughs) You would like to think, right? Right. And you, I guess you haven't been contacted by the IT ISAC SIG for agriculture, I'm guessing. And I don't expect them to contact me anyway, because you know there's something there's something there's something here that um, is kind of new. You know, it's, maybe it's part of other stuff, maybe it's not, but it's really important. I mean, yeah, and code in weeks and build stuff and JBS, you know, trucks full of uh, cattle were sitting at the front of um, slaughterhouses, and 
And again, those are that's downstream, right? That that's you know JBS. That's that's meat processing. Those are the slaughterhouses, the co-ops that were that had ransomware attacks. You know, again, that's to collect and store harvested uh, crops. What you're talking about is the crops never get harvested, you know, or they never get planted because it's the equipment itself that's necessary to carry out that work on a on a massive scale. And farms in the U.S. are massive. Is bricked in the field. (laughs) <laughs> via right. remote software update, right? So if you want to chat about DEFCON, I mean that was that was probably the highlight of this this probably couple of, it was a culmination of a lot of a lot of sweaty hours that I was working on this stuff. But not sweaty, yeah. but like, yeah, so, like so for thirty for the for the most past year you, you you were focused on hardware and you chose this um forty two forty series touchscreen monitor. why that in piece of hardware in particular and, and Tell us just a little bit about what how that what that does within the within the equipment and what it took to run Doom on it. Like how did that how did you pull that off? I chose this display, the Wajondi display, because I knew that there was a process by the previous generation, because I've been speaking to farmers for the last two years, um, a nonstop, like, you know, daily, and I've I've figured out that the the fleet that currently buys brand new equipment now, the hand-me-down market or the second-hand market for that fleet is massive, right? So all of the everyday mum and papa or mum and, you know, family farming, stuff like that, they buy stuff second-hand. And obviously there's massive security issues with that when you're buying things that are, that are four years old and they're not getting updates. And given that um, precision agriculture is quite new, then they've, you know, sent out 300,000 landmines pretty much, you know what I mean? If you think about it like that, it's like sending out, you know, like time bombs or something. But, yeah, there's 300K, I think, devices out there that, that's John Deere connected and um, yeah, substantial. Most of them are running Windows CE6 and there's a whole bunch running the Linux one. And I thought, well, the Windows CE ones are probably going to be a piece of cake. It's not going to be that exciting. So why don't I pop the one that people are going to be using from, from now? For the Windows CE not, not known for its, uh, you know, robust, <laughs> robust security as a platform, but yeah. So well, you, you chose a Linux, life. yeah. It's end of life, so it's not going to get updated. <laughs> so even if I do find something, I mean, right. even, even if I find an underlying OS, I'm not even going to bloody, it's not even worth it. And it's probably like, I probably wouldn't be able to publish it. Because imagine if I said something, if I released a bone and something, it's not being fixed, you know. So I expect John D to fix, you know, some parts of what I've showed him, but they might even consider it not a bone because they would have to change the whole structure of what they're doing if they wanted to change some things. In particular, um, discs up. I'm not going to give many hints because they've had enough stuff for me for free, so in terms of research so but um yeah they tend to disagree with some of the bonds i give them but uh so I was, you know this year i said well i'm not going to tell them any bonds i'm not going to release any bonds i'm just going to beat around the bush and just do a presentation about vulnerabilities i'm mm-hmm. not going to show anyone but i'm just going to present the way that the, the end result which was me running doom on the tractor you know i'm not going to show you how how i did it in the yeah. certain way i said okay well how do you think i got in i've actually said to dear in an email yesterday or two days ago i said you should really you should put doom on the next generation because that way you can one up me or you can like prove that um come standards with all new john Deere chapters yeah doom as a joke right as a joke even as a joke it would just be great but they won't do it of course because they they won't do it and they they'll continue to deny what i do uh even though that the whole world knows that what i did was legit yeah (laughs) like i have a real yeah yeah. so so first of all the whole your decision to put doom on it was 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 inspired because first of all it it taps into this whole you know can can you run doom on it you know kind of community or meet you know kind of collective internet meme right which is this is just a this is a thing and it there's a whole subreddit 
of people just getting doomed to run on, you know, interesting devices, you know, Nook readers sure. and, you know, you know, uh, I saw somebody running one on a Canon EOS uh, single lens reflex camera, you know, the little display on that thing. So you kind of tapped into that, which is great. Um, but in the course of doing that, you know, made some really important points about, you know, what at the end of the day, this technology is, which is, hey, man, it's a touchscreen monitor. And, mm. you know, it, it can run the software Deer put on it, or it can run other software as well. What, from a, like, technical standpoint, what do you need to do um, to get Doom to run on a Deer, you know, 4240 monitor? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I could do it now pretty quickly, but yeah. having, you know, I remember the day that I, I think I, I think I opened the display in February. Mm. I think I started opening the display in February. And what I mean by opening, I mean fully disassembling the, the hardware from eBay. And, I, you know, just slowly wiggled, wiggled it open, you know, mm -hmm. I, remember, I remember drilling the holes and then, you know, th and then de-threading the screws, you know, screwing it up, stripping the screw holes and to drill one out. Mm -hmm. Just, and that was already, you know, I was already swearing at that stage. And I'm Australian, I swear a lot. So, so I'm guessing this thing is not easy to take apart from the way you're describing it. Oh, yeah. Not, not yeah. designed to be taken apart. Well, I got an email from Deer last week and they said, uh, nice job in getting the display back together after you disassembled it. Like, I didn't know that was a hard job. But um, it shouldn't be a hard job, right? So gonna, yeah, it's a funny email. But yeah, like as if it would be the hardest thing ever. Like, I think it's harder actually. Like, wouldn't you congratulate me on doing what I did rather than putting it back together? Like, why yeah. would that be the thing that you would tell me is is the cool shit? Like, what yeah. I really get. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's like boring about this. Like, anyway. So... I've opened up the display, I'm going through it, I'm taking photos, you know, you're doing all this stuff, looking at it, investigating. It's all about just eyeball investigating, opening it up, flipping it over as in the board inside, inspecting it, you know, bringing it under a microscope, not not like an electron microscope, just like a regular, you know, and also an eyeglass, you know, magnifying glass that goes in your eye and stuff like that, mm -hmm. just getting it mm -hmm. real close, looking up chip numbers. To, to read part numbers and stuff like that? Yeah, just making a mental list and like a photos, especially photos, you got to take photos because... Um, if you don't take photos, you won't know where screws and stuff were supposed to be when you start putting them back together, especially if you've got other boards in the room yeah. and other screws in the room, you won't figure out which one's which. <laughs> yeah, right. Things, right. Things are yeah, hairy, yeah. right. And then you broke two things at once. So, yeah, then it's just sort of going through the motions, going you know deeper and deeper into it, and then eventually, you know, hitting roadblocks, I mean, lots and lots of roadblocks, burning chips, you know, um, like scratching the board, um, getting stuck with all this epoxy everywhere, like, starting like small fires and almost fires, but like smoking up the room and like with all this epoxy. So it's just this whole process of just ripping the whole thing apart, getting it down to the level that I want to see how things run. I want to identify, okay, that's the part of the, that's the LAN section of the board. That's the, that's the connection to the CAN bus part of the board. That's the Wi-Fi part of the board. That's the, um, that's the debug part of the board, which is off in some cases. And that's the memory part. That's the CPU. And then like, you just flesh it out backwards. Mm -hmm. And then build it back up, take it off, take off some chips. You know, I like take I like taking chips off, mm -hmm. and then see what form factor there are. You know, like you know, bringing up the re in like a flash reader or a nano reader, or like a debugger, and then just putting it back in, reading off the logs, you know, editing logs, editing files, just stuff like that. And I had a lot, a lot of trial and error, mm -hmm. like almost you know, a couple of months of trial, trial and error. And it wasn't until about two months before DEFCON that I was going to run Doom on it. I thought I was just going to be presenting like the whole process of me going through it. But then the, the icing on the cake was the doom part, but I didn't realize that that was going to be the most famous part of the talk, which is the last slide. Well, it wasn't even a slide. It was a clip at the end. 
welcome to welcome to the media. (laughs) (laughs) It is it is often the stuff that you really don't think is going to be a big deal that ends up turning into a huge deal. Doom is the next gen way of explaining that this device or thing is now Turing complete. You know, like when we're talking about Turing complete, I mean Turing complete programming languages like like you know you write a program which is a c++ thing okay that is now equivalent to being able to write itself out in code or something like that you know it can count to infinity you know it can do all sorts of things it's turing complete it's a true it's turing complete code and then well how do you explain that to somebody who doesn't know what that is okay well the easiest way to do it is show them that something they recognize and every stone everyone in the generation of, of pretty much now kind of like gets what doom is you know they kind of get it um doom is a super popular game 1993 release you know that game is 25 years old 20 29 years 30 years old almost um and people know when they see that game it's like oh this is just as good as my pentium one computer now you know like that's when they think it's a it's working you know like and that when you can run that something that doesn't run that it's kind of yeah it's a meme now so yeah I mean, I remember playing that version of Doom on my friend's, you know, desktop, you know, we have probably Pentium 1 PC in yeah. 1993 or 1994 and being like, oh my, I mean, yeah, back in the day, it was pretty transformative, yeah. the 3D first person shooter thing. But, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, that's one of the reasons it went viral is this, this is sort of this pay on to this amazing first person shooter, the sort of the, that created the whole genre of first person shooters, you know? Right. And I think the, the best part about that was doing the doing the the uh, special edition that we did there. We did a special edition of Doom, which was um, well, I created the version myself uh, from a, someone else's version of Doom, which was actually a lawnmower version of Doom. And yeah. um, you know, I edited that and I put the put the combine in and put some sheep and stuff in there. But we ended up disagreeing on that, which is okay. Um, and we ended up well, it ended up not working either because I wouldn't get Jeezy to work on the device because I didn't have a GPU on there that I could work with. Um, so I ended up getting um, a, a, a perfect version of Doom that was running uh, that would uh, harvest corn, and it was yeah, a tractor version of Doom. So a tractor Doom on tractor, yeah, at DefCon. So yeah, it's super viral, gaming news, gadget news. I mean, if you just Google John Deere jailbreak, you probably see it the way that I showed that I had jailbroken it was by running Doom. So that's kind of like the whole... Yeah, that, that was a sort of proof, a proof of concept, right? I'm running I'm running software that is clearly not John Deere software. <laughs> right. Maybe it should be a definition of what is jailbroken if you're running yeah. Doom. I mean, the other brilliant thing about running Doom on it is that it had an entertainment value in some ways. And DEF CON, if you go back to Barnaby Jack, you know, jackpotting, you know, getting an ATM to just spit out uh, dollar bills or whatever... There's the technical piece of it, and then there's a sort of performance piece of a good uh, hacking demonstration, and and you were able to kind of combine both. Your talk, I was at your talk, and your talk was actually fairly detailed and technical, talking about the guts of this deer monitor and taking it apart, and then what what you found and how you got Doom to run on it, and then and then the very end, you you sort of showed what you had done. And, I got that idea from I think I think I heard I was listening to a few George George Hot stuff Geo Hot I was listening to a few mm-hmm. of his podcasts not, yeah. not not his podcast but I was just listening to some of his um things a friend of mine who does tractor display repair <laughs> believe it or not he um <clears throat> you know he raves on about George and I was like okay I'll listen to it um and then he said something like 
it might be cool to show what you've, you know, but I'd rather read some of that stuff. And I want to go and watch something entertaining. I want to watch something that's going to make me laugh. It's going to make me happy. It's going to be like, like, feeling like, wow, inspired. And then I thought, well, how can I do that and get people riled up about stuff? And I think I riled them up too much, actually, because it ended up getting <laughs> on like world news. I didn't realize it was going to go that viral, man, honestly. I think, um, yeah, it was quite a surprising. So I thought yeah, it was just going to be. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about the last couple of weeks here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I, was, I think I did a wired, I did a wired exclusive because get this yeah. right. So you think about this. DEFCON, everyone's finished the the virus. Um, well, it's sort of, you know, everyone's in a post-COVID era. Um, just looking at DEFCON's lineup for this year. And then, yeah, and she, she reached out to Lily, Lily Newman from um, Wyatt. And, yeah, I said, oh, you can have the story now because um, no one else has uh, messaged me about it. So- and then it got picked up. I mean, it got picked up, obviously, you know, Australian media was all over it. Vice yeah. and and I mean pretty much every major technology magazine as well as all the gaming news websites and there are a ton of those with huge readership and it seemed like that really made it almost like put think, a rocket booster on it in some ways. I think so. Once once why did the story? I think Mashable. Um, I think uh, Tech Tech Radar Tech just a couple of then ours, ours technique had the repost of wide and i think it just sort of rolled on from there then that other one the uh, security ledger i think that is right yeah security ledger one as well nice early one as well <laughs> and then following that there was uh, a couple of linus tech tips videos and it got into uh, i think quartz did one two days ago but yeah. the early ones some of the ag outlets did some let me let me ask you what, what are people asking you about when you do all these interviews and a lot of these interviews have been not you know, technology publications, even mainstream publications. Like, what do they want to know? Like, what are they asking you about? I'm guessing they're not like, well, well I heard you hacked the Wind River Linux on a 4241. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what is, what's like, what's your understanding of, of what the public is taking away from this whole thing? I think they're sort of getting it. They know that, they know that I know what I did. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like this kind of, mutual knowledge where you don't even like just showing someone doom running on something things like oh i know what he's done Do you know what i mean like he's broken into it you don't even have to sort of agree or like understand that that i'm like oh i wonder how he got in it's kind of like oh there's yeah. someone out there there's someone out there you can break the shit out of it and that's kind of that whole thing where it's like it's like a like a virtual head nod or like a mm-hmm. head tap you mm-hmm. know where everyone's like oh because there's so many issues with it too. There's, there's the, obviously the security and the ag and the food supply chain and then the big ones, which is, you know, right to repair, which affects yeah, right a lot repair. of people. So absolutely. And and so as we talk about that, I mean, our first question is, what, what have you heard from farmers and from folks who are just, you know, living and 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 suffering you know, within this deer ecosystem? I'm, I'm wondering if you got emails or, or DMs or shout outs from folks who are farmers on this. Funnily enough, I've had a I've been on a few ag sites and, and uh, podcasts recently, I think, and I've got more coming up eventually. But the first important part is that, that it spread to ag finally. So what I did actually was so far reaching that it broke the wall because all these ag dendrites, I guess, was just finally settling. And then you know I've got you know people from the Independent Equipment Association, dealership, etc., whatever it is, reached out saying they want me to chat with them and, and things like that. You know, interesting people from interesting, important places who have good reach that reach real farmers and a ton of farmers as well. Yeah, I've had, had a guy email me asking me to reset his abdomen on his BMW and I said, obviously I can't do that. Um, you know, I've had a guh email me saying me, you know, ex-deer employees. I mean, 
you know, just things like, um, can you do this to other tractors? And, mm -hmm. you know, can you help me do this to my tractor? Or I've mm -hmm. been doing this, the one that I didn't do, the 2630. Just a lot of different people reached out. And that's probably what I encourage farmers to do is just actually reach out to your local everyday hacker and contact them. Because if they know that there's someone out there who can do the things that they believe, even if they don't actually go to deer and say, oh yeah, can you jailbreak my tractor at the factory or the, or the dealership? They're going to be like, what are you talking about? But being able to go to the dealer and go, oh, I think I'll just go jailbreak it then and say that to the dealer. Things mm -hmm. like you can, they feel like they've got someone in their corner, like yeah. as opposed to- being, Well, yeah, I, mean, I use it, I use it to the analogy of like buying a laptop, right? I mean, you can do, you can buy a Dell Inspiron laptop with Windows, you know, whatever on it um, and take it home and, and put whatever operating system you want on it. You can put Chromium yeah. on it. You can put Linux on it. You can put, you know, Ubuntu, whatever. You can choose to, it's an open platform. You can run whatever you want on it. And that gives consumers tremendous flexibility and freedom. And 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 you can also, you know, swap out RAM, swap, swap out hard drives, video cards. You know, I mean, this is, we've grown up with a open platform in the form of the PC is incredible that we've all benefited from. Some of the eventual changes, if you compare like a Raspberry Pi, so it's like a glorified Raspberry Pi. But, you know, you can't rip the components off. You've got to get real down because things, you know, now they, they're they're a lot smaller and you've got to desolder them. But you can desolder them and you can take them off. And I know, like, if I think about what I've done to my display, I've got backup chips for it. I've got backup things. But mm -hmm. I have to get mm -hmm. from secondhand markets and chips that have already got data on them. And I also have to get them from third-party, really dodgy sellers as well mm -hmm. as, you know, reputable places like Mauser and play top mm -hmm. dollar dollar to get replacement chips and i, I think i don't know yeah i mean i think it, this is this matters and i don't know if the security ledger listenership is is up on this as as others are but you know the 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 situation of farmers right now particularly farmers running late model john deere hardware and in, in, in you know uh, equipment in their fields is really dire that you know they've got equipment that is equipped with sensors wherein if one of those sensors you know goes balky suddenly they've got a million dollar piece of equipment that is basically hobbled in the field and they are required to wait for an authorized deer service personnel to come out with their deer service advisor to you know punch in a code you know get the error code off the machine figure out what part needs to be ordered that might take days or weeks you know th these journeys out to the farms might take hours and cost you know a couple hundred dollars for the for the farmer just to get the person out to the farm in the meantime like you know their their work is very time sensitive you know they've got a window to get crops planted and harvested and if that equipment isn't available to them they are really you know they they face considerable financial risk and they cannot by and large do this work themselves they can't replace the sensor and even if they can they can't get the equipment to acknowledge and recognize the sensor without basically a deer dealership doing that for them it is a really bad situation that a lot of farmers are in trying to trying to make ends meet in a in an industry that's already incredibly slim margins right huge over huge capital costs you know very dependent on weather and commodity prices and really thin margins. And this is just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of them. Some some of the most egregious things that I saw were, you know, things like, um, and people might think this is normal, but fuel injectors. You know, when I buy a fuel injector for my motorbike, I can buy any fuel injector I want. But when you need to get a brand new deer one, you've got to get one that matches the machine. And 
heard one argument which is like, oh, I've got to align them and things like that. Well, they should build that in the software that makes them align. You know, why would they serialize this, the the um the the injectors? Yeah. There's no there's no real reason. You know, why would they yeah. heat up? Why would they make the subscriptions? You're going to heat up your hands on a steering wheel. The fucking the elements in the wheel already. Why would you? Why would you need to pay for that? Why would you have to do all that stuff? You know, the, it's such an odd concept, and it's like manufactured um, pricing based. On, that's what makes it so diff, hard for me to understand some of the things that I saw because it's kind of like, well, why would somebody deliberately design the code to make it more difficult to do something as opposed to, and then charging you to make it less difficult? It's like why don't you just make the price of the display more and then include everything all in there at once and make everyone pay for it on the on like every other bloody business does, you know. <laughs> And they have many excuses. I mean, I think it, this is kind of one of those Occam's razor, you know, type situations where it's like the simplest explanation is probably the right one. And the simplest explanation is, of course, to force you to buy their parts and use their authorized service personnel at whatever, you know, exorbitant hourly rate they want to charge you to do the work. Just like any car maker would prefer to have you always go to their dealership and use their, you know, their authorized dealer service professionals. But that's a very expensive way to maintain your car. And the excuses they use are often around our parts are the highest quality. You know, they talk about, you know, emissions laws and, you know, being bound by the Clean Air Act here in the United States. And, you know, which is, you know, really a kind of deliberate misreading of the Clean Air Act, but they do it anyway. And it's all <laughs> this kind of quality stuff. Well, we care so much about the quality of our excellent products and we just don't, you know, believe that you know, farmers or independents are, are able to maintain that quality. You know, I mean, it, it all seems to kind of boil down to that. Um, Which is kind of what I proved that, that, that um, you know, I don't have a farm. I'm not a farmer, but I can still modify the track that I do on it. And, yeah, it's just kind of like this this, this process that is just sort of, I'm sort of waiting to see what happens, you know, like, like I only just heard from Deer. And how embarrassing is that? Having spoken about a company such as big as Deer with such so much responsibility for the entire global food supply chain as John Deere, you know, John yeah. Deere Co., the biggest ag company in the world, yeah. like all the combines that feed all of us every day, and they didn't email me until I met, emailed them twice after the, after the talk. Mm -hmm. you know, like, like and what did they say in their emails? Yeah, it was a little written, basically private, but I said, you know, like I was on feedback on the talk, what do you think? Things like that. And, what, um, what sense yeah. do you get from them about what they, what they took away from your talk? Some people liked it at Deer. You know, there was, mm -hmm. there was people from Deer that were at the talk and they said they loved it. Yeah. I think the problem is um, the people that I mentioned that I emailed at Deer haven't actually seen a talk yet. You know, it's kind of like everyone's going to go off the articles that they saw online, which makes it very difficult to understand what the talk was about. Yeah. And because I prefer to put pictures in my talks rather than just read off the slides, I like to talk about the talk, you know, and actually have people engaged. Uh <laughs> <laughs> when I asked you how long your presentation was, you're like, I think it was 200 slides. I was like, I was like, fucking choked on my lunch. I was like, 200 slides. It's all about telling this right because I think I was saying before George Hotz, like, it's telling it's about telling a proper story, you know. So, so it's probably too much ask, to ask farmers to to start, you know, <laughs> busting down logic boards and extracting chips and extracting firmware from those chips and all that stuff. Like, that's just not. That's not their skill set, but what would be a next step here from from what you've already done and built on that might think, lead us to the 
what many of the articles talked about, which was quote unquote liberating the tractors. It's a phrase you use, but we're we're definitely not there yet. But but what would we need to do to kind of get there? Well, I think liberating, I'm referring to necessarily the code. So the code yeah. needs to be free. And I think yeah. that's more that's something that has to be, you know, uh, sort of ongoing and <clears throat> myself and um others that I won't um Telling you, but I, you know, I'm inspecting the code. I've got a copy of Deer's code. In fact, Deer sent me a copy of their full corresponding source code. So, yeah, the fact that I've got those those versions of the code, I'm kind of you know, looking through it and figuring out what I'm allowed to uh, incorporate into my quote unquote own projects. Yeah, or being fully open source for folks who care about right to repair and and kind of I guess even just the rights of ownership is this notion that you know you can run the software you want. And that in and of itself will, you know, facilitate all kinds of repair friendly stuff, right? Um, you know, supporting third party uh, parts and components, um, supporting third party software updates and, you know, kind of a, a more robust um, environment for developing on top of that software, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the vision, right? Yeah, right. So I want to build pretty much like an Android, maybe thinking about it, you know, maybe someone who isn't yeah. doing it, but um something you know maybe the android version of the of the the iphone style thing you know that kind of argument but or even virtualization you know i've mm -hmm. asked me before am i going to virtualize and i said yes so they know i'm going to do it um mm -hmm. just a matter of um you know figuring out what i'm going to virtualize you know but i don't want to give um i don't get them too excited or too litigious but um yeah. yeah, I'm a good faith uh, security researcher, and that's a little, I'll always be that. You know, I'll never, I'll never sign some random NDA with them saying that um, that I don't, I'm not going to publish these vulnerabilities because I love publishing them because people get yeah. people need to know what's going on with their food. So you you anticipated my final question, or maybe questions, um, which is as as part of the work you did, just getting Doom to run on the forty two forty monitor. You also in the, in that process discovered a fair amount of security related uh, stuff vulnerabilities. Um, you haven't published CVEs for those yet. Um, I'm not sure if you've disclosed them to do to Deer. What is this? What did you discover? You know, whether you want to talk in, in fine detail or broad details about the types oh. of flaws you discovered, and and what what are your plans for publishing or going going public with that that information? I think what I discovered is more like of a it's like a flaw, just an overall defective by design style uh, vulnerability where you know the disk isn't encrypted and they can't mm. go out and repair disks because kind of hygiene hygiene stuff. Yeah, just basics um, that, you know, five years ago, maybe it wasn't basic, but, you know, nowadays it's basic, you know, and things like that, they can't just go out and replace them. They can't issue an update because everyone's got unencrypted boards right now and they haven't got anything to, to fix that with, you know. There's just a lot of different things they could have done better, you know, had they designed it a certain amount of time ago. But, you know, they can update it and they can attempt to do it, but they'll end up doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe they will brick all the tractors. Imagine, imagine if they did it themselves, you know, like, I won't, I they're not going to do that, but mm -hmm. they could. Um, you know, I could theoretically, but mm -hmm. um, in the past. And, and one, of the, one of the scary things there is from what I understand from like farmers and people who have worked on this equipment is, you know, it's it's not like bricking your phone, right? It's like the process of, of re-imaging a piece of a, a, a harvester or a tractor is incredibly complex and can take hours, if not days to complete. So like... <clears throat> When you <clears throat> you you look at that and you imagine you know a large scale attack of using a malicious update and you know thousands or tens of thousands of pieces of equipment affected, 
you know, the, the recovery time would be, I mean, I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be, but it would be long. It took me weeks. It took me weeks to take it off and on and off and on and off all the time and recover it and fix yeah. it. And yeah, it took a very long time because you, every time you take it off the board, the memory, we edit it or you break it, you break it. And like I break it a lot of times. You know, you've got to go yeah. take it off, compare it with the one you've already got. And that's it. It takes a lot of time. It's like reading. It's like, yeah, it's a mission. And, you know, if it takes me, uh, uh, I, I, I can see myself, uh, you know, I know how to hack things. I, it takes me that long it's probably it's going to take a long time to do you know and yeah. that's why i'm trying to bring it down to a level where you know it's the decision of whether you know do i jailbreak my tractor or not oh mm-hmm. no i think I might, just, I might just you know but you still get that it's like jailbreaking your iphone you know oh, mm-hmm. no, i'd rather have the i'd rather have the the oem security level you know so like these rather- are yeah so 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 these so what you discovered is is we're talking about hygiene stuff just insecure by design stuff Maybe some locally exploitable types of vulnerabilities. Not nothing, nothing remotely exploitable. Um, do you think there might be CVEs that you register attached to any of these, or is this just kind of stuff you're going to pass to Deer and say, "Hey, you might want to deal with this," you know, from the design standpoint? Well, actually, I haven't even mentioned. I haven't spoken to them, so I haven't even actually told them anything. Um, they found out about it at the talk. So once they see the talk online, they'll be able to get it. They'll be able to get the idea about what happened because, um, like I said, I, I can't submit the bugs about hardware via the bug bounty because I don't have hardware in scope. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to participate in a free bug bounty because I've already left that bug bounty. They can't invite me again. Yeah. Stuff in the talk was kind of like beating around the, you know, it's kind of describing the result of the vulnerability, if that makes sense. There's a few bugs in there they'll probably have to fix, but I wouldn't call them vulns. And they don't really, mm-hmm. they won't call them vulns either because they'll never say that they're vulns. They'll, they'll, mm-hmm. you know, customers will never, never in trouble. You know, they'll say they're never vulns. So I'm happy, mm-hmm. I'm happy with that. What you, what's your that. sense about the bounty program that they set up and whether, you know, is yes. there, is there, is it your sense that Deer is behind the scenes, has a lot of like private, you know, not open to the public, you know, programs that are going on where people are, are hammering on their stuff? Or was that just kind of, you know, window dressing that whole program and, you know, there's not a lot happening with it and, you know, we, we don't know what's going on from the... Yeah, they, you know, they have a private program. Yeah. They have a private program and uh, people make money in that one. So, you know, it's kind of like one of those kick in the head, you know, it's like, oh, here's all this cool shit, um, but they don't sort of value security research properly yet. And, you know, they're sort of learning that uh, the hard way, I guess. So that's just... This is the way security works, you know. Like yeah. I don't have a responsibility to publish. You know, CISA was out. CISA emailed me twice before the talk and you know, asked me, "Hey, can you give us the can you give us the lowdown of the talk?" And I didn't see it until after the, the after I presented and I gave them the slides via email um, that had already been public. So you know, it's just like where was Deer's email? Why, why wasn't Deer asking me where? Where's mm-hmm. all my where's my volumes? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty obvious. I'm going to talk about them. You know, um, they've got my number, so they, they know my number. So. Yeah. yeah. Did did you have any exchange with CISA over that? Like, hey, I'll tell you after it's public, or did you just kind of go stuff? Oh, I didn't check my email until after DEFCON because <laughs> it was I was busy. Uh, I was busy doing DEFCON. You know, I was busy. Yeah, doing yeah, tour. yeah. And, oh, and so they reached out to you. CISA reached out to you when you were kind of out there in Vegas already. No, no, no. They sent me an email. I didn't. I didn't see any. I didn't notice anyone from CISA there. But I got yeah. an email prior saying, you know, can yeah. you let us know the slides beforehand. And like I said, yeah. I hadn't read the emails until. You know, yeah, I think why it emailed me before CISA. So yeah, there you go. Do you think there's anything that CISA could do for at this point? Like, what would if you were to if you were to kind of 
give them your an earful about what you feel like they should be doing to to address the cyber risk piece because that's their that's well, their concern. I think they've seen the slides now. They don't they didn't really issue any reports, so I don't really think they care in mm-hmm. terms of um because it's very low. It's not like a remotely controlled, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not an RC. Yeah, yeah. I was just showing something sort of you know more localized, you know, with with the, with the right repair flavor to it. You know, what I mean, rather than mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to do it in the way that would actually be relevant. It's actually okay for John Deere to leave that vulnerability there because it lets farmers jailbreak their own tractor and, and then maybe Deere can get rid of that elephant in the room, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there is a third-party uh, hacking market, you know, they're kind of, well, I've spoken to a yeah. lot of guys that, that have touched the Deere stuff. The problem is it's a $10,000 display brand new and then like if you rip it out of your tractor, you've got to buy another one. So say if a farmer wants to do it, he's got a, he's yeah. a $16,000 out of pocket to be able to play yeah. with one. Well, and and the and the problem for for the security community is yes, yeah, ten thousand dollar monitor. It's a it's a seven hundred thousand dollar you know tractor Correct. or a million dollar harvester. And so you know what security firm is going to spend that type of capital to buy something just so they can tool around with it and hack it and try and find software? The ones, They're not. And the right? ones that do, well, the, the ones that do spend the money are the ones that are under NDA and they don't talk about it publicly. But I don't like to do that. I like to talk publicly. And show people a stolen tractor. Yes, yep. you can jailbreak it, but do we really want non-jailbreakable track non-jailbreakable tractors? I don't I'd rather have tractors knowing in the back of my head that I could you know, if I wanted to, right. I still want to have the feeling of empowerment where I can actually if if I say to someone, look, I'm putting my hand up, I want somebody jailbreak tractor, I'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. I want that ability. That's what I wanted to make farmers feel like. And I think it works because farmers are laughing and they're thinking, oh, shit, this is awesome. Even if they don't do it, they know that it's available to do. And if mm-hmm. they really want to do it, their probably local technician or mechanic or whatever will actually probably... I've had a couple of guys reach out. Well, and from a cyber resilience standpoint, it's like, well, what is the most resilient you know, agricultural ecosystem? Is it one in which one vendor and one cloud-based service has exclusive access to all the deployed hardware? Or is it one in which farmers run their own software and, you know, store data on their own cloud services, you know, using Uh various different providers, various different software versions and images? Um, and it's totally decentralized. Obviously, that's a lot more secure. That makes it a lot harder for any single adversary to impact an entire sector because you'd be like, well, you know, everybody's got a different software running on their hardware and are using different services to access it, and manage it. And you know, all of a sudden you're you've got a you've got a very diversified landscape. Right now, it's single point of failure. You know, certainly for for more recent hardware. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of legacy hardware out there that's that's not internet connected or not as internet connected. You know, if I were the U.S. government, the Australian government, whatever, I'd be worried about that. I would be looking very closely at that and trying to think: How do we make this more resilient? How do we make this less susceptible to you know single points of failure? The reason why it's susceptible is because of the certain manufacturers getting giddy about harvesting everyone's data yeah 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 and and, and and sort of you know like the 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 heat the seat warmer subscriptions in the bmw you know how how can we how can we gate every feature on this thing and extract money from them at every turn right i mean that is clearly the model that car makers are going on and if you think that agricultural equipment makers aren't looking at the same model you know you're kidding yourself
Final, final question. Um, so what what's up for next next year? What are you thinking about next year for, for DEF CON or Corn Con or whatever or hardware IO, any whatever, whatever conference you, you hope to do? Well, I'm thinking about DEF CON next year and I think I want to do something fun. Like I said, I don't know if I want to speak yet, but if I do, it'll be something where it's fun. I wanna be fun, you know, I wanna make I wanna make security interesting and fun and things that are important and making sure that they get across the point and you know, as long as it's as long as it's a makes you laugh, that's all I care about. And okay. people laugh at my talks, so I I'm happy with that. That's all I care about. Hey Sick Codes man, it's really great doing this and, and congratulations on your on your DEF CON talk and uh, you know, great great work and I, I really appreciate it. I know because we've been talking all along how much time and effort you put into this uncompensated. So I just, you know, on behalf of the security community, just wanted to say, Hey, thanks a lot. You know, it it, thanks, it, it paid off, man. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Right. And we'll do this again, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, next, next massive hack, I think. <laughs> Sickcodes is an independent security researcher based in Thailand. He was here to talk about his presentation at DEF CON, Hacking the Farm, in which he ran a version of the Doom first-person shooter on a John Deere 4240 touchscreen monitor. 